The November 3rd elections are just days away. And though the global pandemic has made it clear that we likely won't know the results by election night, questions remain. How will farmers and rural Americans vote in 2020? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Listen, you're probably a little overwhelmed at the moment with the sheer number of polls, election reporting, and campaign ads that you're hearing from seemingly every single media source. We definitely don't want to add to that cacophony. But when it comes to rural and farm perspectives, DTN provides some unique information about how small town and rural America is likely to vote this year. We're joined today by DTN's Dan Miller to discuss the results of DTN's Pulse of Rural America survey in partnership with Zogby's and to hear how shifting perspectives on everything from the farm economy to healthcare to climate change might be affecting the farm political landscape for years to come. That and much more right after this word from our sponsor, This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job, especially this time of year. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities, and easily make an offer with help from the newly enhanced free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your smartphone or mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusinesses to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress as well as enter and track inventory. Confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free on the App Store. And now, back to the show. DTN senior editor Dan Miller has been following farm and rural voter perspectives closely over the past weeks, and now he has additional insight to share from a national poll. Dan, DTN and Zogby's did a poll uh, in advance of the upcoming presidential election and and actually the rest of the election as well, but the presidential election is obviously top of mind. Um, Give us a little bit kind of just to start us off. What are the kind of top line conclusions um, that we saw coming out of the poll? We've done this poll. Um, we've done this poll in 2012, 16, 18, and then this year. Um, so we're starting to get a good feel. We think for for what's going on in rural America. We call it the pulse of rural America poll. Um, what we found top line on this one is is President Trump has support in the country. Um, he had a lot of support last time. He's at uh, 53% uh, job approval. Um, he's at 50% of people that were surveyed. There was little over. Um, uh, uh, 1,100 people surveyed in this survey, rural adults and farmers. Um, he's at uh, 50% support among that group. That's what we found in 2016, too. Um, after the elections were over and people analyzed the votes and everything, they found rural America was very important to the president's election. So um, I think their campaign um, ought to see these numbers and take some comfort in that. We're, we're going to dive a little bit deeper on some of the, the other takeaways, but let's start by talking about who's in this survey. You talked about it's, it's rural adults and farmers. Um, do you have any idea of, about the demographic breakdown of, of who participated in the survey? I do. Um, 
it was it was about a thousand rural adults. Zogby can't identify farmers versus rural adults in their in their data. So we um, also put out part of the survey, and and so we have uh, a purely farmers altogether um, in this survey. Uh, about twenty nine percent of the respondents were farmers, and the rest were quote unquote rural adults. Um, some of those may be farmers too, but they didn't they didn't self identify as that. Um, the regions, it was it was fairly equal. We, we've got more returns from the Central Great Lakes, uh, more than a third. But then if you look at the South and the West, the, the returns were roughly even. Um, party, uh, more Republicans and Democrats, um, almost as many independents as, as Republicans in, in the survey. So um, so it was in, in some ways it was a good uh, it's a good diverse group. I you know we always look at surveys and see how many Democrats are surveyed versus how many Republicans. Um, in this survey, there was there was more Republicans surveyed than Democrats, and I don't know if that was just a function of the survey, a function of who's living out in rural America. I I, I don't know. Um, I do know I lived in Iowa um, when I when I lived there, and we had uh, two, our two senators. One was Republican, and one was Democrat, and that was for years. So. Even even a state like that, just just because it's a farming state, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be conservative and Republican. Well, and I'm sure things like you know the exact definition of rural uh, versus maybe like exurb or suburb um, plays into that as well. But I won't I won't push you too hard on um, how the those numbers are specifically broken down. But DTN does this poll. It came out at the beginning of October. It's it's being you know publicized and, and talked about all throughout this month in advance of the election. What, what do you think this means as we head towards, you know, November 3rd? I think, I think there's a, there's a couple things. Um, if I can, if I can talk about uh, the top line um, concerns um, and, and it'll kind of lead into what I was going to say. So if you look at the top concerns among the people that were surveyed, it was, it was the economy, healthcare, and then protection of the second amendment. That, that was kind of, that was, you know, if, if, if you took the totals, that's what those were um, among Democrats um, though. Um, the top line issues were health care um, and climate change. So that was it was different. Matter of fact, I think the Democratic uh, uh, part of this poll, um, they were they were the one demographic to pick health care out as their top issue. So that's important. I think you want to set that one aside and say, you know, keep that in the back of your mind that that's an important one. The other thing is, is I, I wouldn't say this is a clear win for the president. Um, when you look a little bit deeper into this, um, we asked the question, is is agriculture better off for worse than it was four years ago. And we get 39% say it was worse and a, and a smaller number, about 23% that say it's better than it was. And then a large number of undecided. So um, if you're going to ask a typical rural, quote, again, quote unquote, rural adult, uh, what they think about the agricultural economy, um, you're not necessarily going to get back an answer that says it's better than it was before. And I think some of that has to do with trade issues. Um, Republicans tend to they're going to give uh, President Trump some some room to maneuver, uh, especially with China. Um, uh, they're willing to, to to wait it out a little bit. They're also getting payments from the government to, to kind of help offset the, the COVID and China uh, trade issues. So that that's helping a little bit. Uh, Democrats less so. Um, they're not they're not obviously willing to give give the president any room to uh, uh, to maneuver in, in that area. So that's what I'm saying is I don't think this is necessarily a, a home run for for President Trump and his team. Uh, because there is some dissension and worry and, and unrest out in the country. Um, if, if, you know, if some of these issues don't get taken care of, I think China in particular don't get taken care of, um, I, I, I think it's going to bode, bode ill for, for Republicans uh, in coming elections. 
I want to dig into that a little deeper. So many interesting things going on there. But I, I think one of the interesting numbers that jumped out at me was this, the idea that only 57% of farmers think that Trump has been good. Uh, the Trump administration has been good for their financial situation, which is particularly interesting when we look at, you know, key indicators like um, farm income and how much farm income, um, you know, is improving uh, in, in recent years as, as compared to previous years. Um, obviously, things like trade play into that and, and uncertainty there and how much of that income is coming from p- government payments instead of, um, you know, access to, to markets. But talk a little bit more about about how farmers see or how farmers might be thinking about what a good financial situation or a good economy looks like versus, you know, what exactly they are feeling in their own businesses. I, I would think based on, on my experience and based on talking to some of the some of the farmers we did for the story, is that while you know farmers okay they appreciate the payments there's no doubt about that they, because it's help you know it's helping keep them kind of a you know above the water um, but at the same time they'd rather be getting the income off what they do off the crops they grow or their livestock they sell um, you know I think the the the, the China episode and, and COVID is is hurting you know like the, the, the pork market the soybean market. Um, you know, those are two. So I think in the end, if you ask them, they'll say, sure, the payments are great. You know, we like that. Um, but the payments are really propping up farm income this year. And, and I think they would rather get that income off of what they do off their farms and ranches. I want to dig a little deeper, too, into this question of undecided voters, especially people who are undecided on a few of these topics, like is the farm economy better off now than it was four years ago? What do you think is happening there? Are these actually undecided voters or are they just people who might be undecided on the specifics, but not necessarily undecided in terms of their broader candidate choice? Do you think there's a potential there for some kind of upset? Yeah, I don't know. could be. I mean, there's enough undecideds there. Um, you know, are they really undecided? Are they are they in that category of don't knows? You know, will they not know how to, uh, will they not know who they're going to vote for until they get into the the polling booth, or maybe they've already voted and they, you know, they've made a decision maybe counter to what they thought they would do. I don't know, but there is a larger number there uh, that could make the difference. And, and the other thing is too, there's, there's a, there's a couple of third party candidates in this race that, you know, nobody really ever hears about, but altogether they're getting three, four, 5% of the vote. That could be important too at the end. In a close race, that, that kind of percentage could be really important. You know, will people in the end really vote for those folks? Or will they decide at the last minute to turn and vote for, you know, vote for Vice President Biden or, or Donald Trump? So I think that's that's an open question. It, it, and anybody who's looking at the campaign this week, it, it, it feels like while the polls are showing that the vice president, former vice president is ahead, I don't think anybody would be running comfortably this week. I want to ask, too, I thought there was some interesting data included in this about kind of those top decision making factors um, for these rural and farm voters. And I was interested to see that, you know, how highly the Second Amendment, for example, rates above, you know, trade issues, which trade for considering that the number one, especially among Republican voters, the number one issue was the economy. uh, Trade seemed to rank pretty low comparatively. What do do you think was happening there? Let me just say this. If I had to guess. I would say in some ways the trade issue has been sort of taken care of. Maybe that maybe that's too strong a word, but you know, with, with the payments that have gone to farmers um, for, for trade and COVID and all that, maybe that's kind of pushed that one down a little bit uh, where it might normally be higher. And then, of course, we have to spend a little bit of time talking about that healthcare question. I think when we talk about healthcare on in the national on the national stage, we talk about much bigger issues, especially the Affordable Care Act. But I think on 
a kind of individual level, healthcare is also really important for a lot of farms. Uh, it's, a, it's a big expense. So I wonder if, um, you know, when we see it not rank very highly, or I mean, even amongst Republicans, it was rated as kind of the second most important thing. Uh, so I don't know. What, what do you think is happening there? Do you think there's a potential, um, it's because of all this interest to really make some moves that could be beneficial for um, farm businesses uh, on the healthcare issue? I think so. And, and, and I think, um, you know, for party, um, I think that's something that Vice President Biden is, is, is pushed harder. Um, uh, um, I think Donald Trump has, he says he has a plan, but it seems like Democrats kind of have the, the upper edge on, or the upper hand on that one. Um, if I could say my, my brother, for example, is, is a House representative in Minnesota. And, and, and he, spends, he represents the southwest uh, part of Minnesota. He spends a lot of time on health care issues. And while Minnesota has been able to figure some things out and, and offer some new options for healthcare, it's, it's, a, it's a big concern for farmers that they spend thousands and thousands, amazing amount of money on, on healthcare, um, not, only, not only for insurance, but when they actually have to have it. So um, it, it, it's a very difficult issue for farmers. You will find, I had a farmer once joke with me, I asked what his wife did, and he said, he said, she's a teacher, of course, because she has healthcare. And he goes, he goes, teachers are valuable wives out here. So I, I know he was joking, but, but that's pretty, pretty true that, um, um, you know, the, the ones, the farmers with the good health care, typically that's, that's uh, by a spouse working off, off the farm. Well, let me ask you, I want to dig in just to a couple really specific things that you talked about in your article about this. Um, I was interested to see that 56% of respondents said that they agree that the president's emphasis on trade negotiations negotiations with China um, and with the USMCA uh, have led to higher potential income for farm operations. Is that like just thinking about kind of statements we've heard all throughout kind of these trade conflicts from commodity groups and from farmers individually? It's very surprising to hear that folks think in general that that these trade disputes have been better for them. Like 56 percent, that's a majority of people think that they've like come out better off. What do you think is happening there? I think, sir, I think, sir, the keyword there is potential. And and that was what I got from the, the farmers, again, that we interviewed to, to, to go with a survey. Um, and, and as I said before, and I think you sort of hear it even in the farm groups, nobody wants to see a trade dispute. Um, nobody wants to see tariffs being thrown on other countries and all that, because it, it, it always comes back and hurts agriculture. Um, so I don't think anybody is excited about the trade disputes. But I, I talked to a couple of farmers, one said in particular, they didn't like it. They were always a free trader. They always, you know, no matter the country, no matter the situation, they always wanted, you know, trade free. But on these instances, he was starting to see that China was a problem for us, the way they traded, and that he's willing to give the president some room uh, to negotiate and see if things work out. And like I said before, I think I think it's one thing for a little while. If, if, if it goes on and on and on, though, I'm not sure you're going to see that kind of support. I want to just invite you to, to talk a little bit more about, you know, surveys are interesting and it's interesting to see kind of, you know, where the majority of people stand on some of these issues. But I think it's also really important to kind of ground truth um, this data and to, to match it to actual people and, and stories. Talk a little bit about some of the farmers you've talked to, you know, coming out of this survey and, and what they think about these results. Yeah, I think um, uh, the farmers that I talked to, I think we, we had a, we, a farmer who was going to support Vice President Biden. And it was solely on economics. Um, he said, you know, when 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 uh, uh, 
uh, the vice president left office uh, with President Obama that, you know, prices were relatively much higher than they are now. And he had confidence. He said he felt like Biden had the ability and the understanding of the of the farming economy to turn things back around. So that was his that was his kind of top line. I wouldn't say it was his sole issue. He wasn't he wasn't completely against everything Trump was doing, but he was going to vote for Biden. It, it was because of prices and trade. Those were the things. Um, on the other ones, um, again, I think when when you talk to him about trade, it was like I said they're willing to give the the president some maneuvering room for a little while anyway. Um, couple things that we talked to him about that I that I thought were interesting that were a little bit off off the economic and the presidential thing is we asked them um, about COVID-19, how that was affecting um, them this year, because we read a lot about how it's affecting people in urban areas and suburbs and, you know, those kinds of things. You don't hear much about about rural areas. And um, I remember I talked to a, a professor at Purdue University. Um, in Indiana, and he was talking about COVID's effect on, on rural areas and just things you may not even think about. Can't go to the shop, you know, can't go to the coffee shop in the morning and have coffee. Churches might be closed. Um, you know, the place if you had to go to get a, a part for a tractor, and that might be a place too where you have a cup of coffee or sit there and talk for a little while. Now the parts put out on the curb or on the road or something for people to pick up. Um, you know, families. Um, for all you hear about, you know, whether whether this is real or not or stuff, families treat it like it's real and it's hard for them to get together with families and friends. And those are all so important to rural areas and they've all been taken away. So it's 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 pretty difficult. And and so when you when we asked them about the COVID-19 outbreak, how it affected them, um, we got things like it impacted my ability to interact with family, friends and neighbors. That was more than half, 55 percent. Um, negatively affected grain and livestock prices just because of the shutdowns of plants and things like that, of, of, of meat processing plants, for example, affected my family 43%. So what was interesting to me is, is and in, in, in if you talk to the farmers that I talk to, they all say the same thing. It's changed a lot of things. And, and it's in some ways subtle, some ways big, uh, but it's, it's, it's going to have an effect that's going to take a while to unwind if, if, we, if the day comes when we get, this, get a handle on this. And we've seen in the last you know, few weeks, big flare ups in coronavirus kind of all across, especially in rural counties, especially kind of in the Midwest. Do you think do you think that will have an effect on on people's outlook on this survey? I mean, this was done um, at the beginning of September, if I'm if I have that correct. So I don't know. Do you think that there's a chance that even between when this survey was done and now things might have even changed at least slightly? It could, it could. I, I, I mean, I can't say for sure, but look at look at where the numbers have gone here in the last week or so. I mean, they've really shot up. I mean, they're, if you look at total numbers, people people who've been diagnosed with COVID, um, what are we at? Over eighty thousand now. We've never had anything like that, even back in the winter. So, you know, you you hear on TV and you hear experts say, and I think it's probably true because I feel it. Maybe you feel it. Just kind of getting fatigued from all this, and and you know, so does that. Do people look at this and go, here we go again? And, and, and do they translate that into a vote? I don't know, but it sure could. You know, it sure could do that. So um, I was, if, if I can give an example of another brother. <laughs> okay, he lives in Montana and he lives on the Blackfoot Indian Reservation. He does work uh, through, through the Catholic Church there on the reservation. And the reservation for a long time had no COVID cases. And now, uh, now they're struggling with with COVID, quite a quite a high number for for the number of people who live there. And and Mark, 
Um, if you go into a store, you have to have your temperature taken. This is just to go in a store, temperature taken. Uh, they write down your name and address uh, before you can even before you can even walk into the store. And so it's it's very strict out there, and it very much wears on them. They um, if he goes, uh, he lives in Illinois. If he would go back home and visit his kids and grandkids, for example, he'd have to he'd have to self quarantine for two weeks, no questions asked. Um, if he's they they have a curfew. I think it's a ten o'clock curfew. Um, and there was a night when he thought, no, nah, they're not serious about this curfew. And he got pulled over, got a pretty stiff warning, didn't get the ticket, but got a pretty stiff warning. So, you know, that's very much a rural area out there. And, and it's hard, it's hard for people to adapt to this. We talked a little bit about the regional distribution of the responses um, for the poll, but did the answers to, that people gave vary significantly at all by region? Was there, do farmers and rural people in some regions feel significantly differently than those in others? We did find, I think the, the one the one region that popped up was the Great Lakes, and and we got we got more uh, uh, more answers from there. That was the, the highest percentage. And what what struck me with that is that's an area particularly important to, to Trump, especially I would say, and, and to Biden in a defensive way that you know he would not want to lose states in those areas. That's you know your Michigan, Wisconsin um, area up in there. So um, um, that's that'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. My last question is is a little bit of a uh more inside question i guess i don't know if that's the right way to describe it but i'm curious why dtn does this poll with zogby what what's kind of the motivation behind it and and you know why did it get started and and why does it continue well i think back in 2012 when we first did it it was it was kind of a novel way to i think for us we felt like we could kind of reach out into the country and take its temperature um it was interesting um um maybe this is too much inside baseball but we find it very easy to work with Zogby. Um, they, they, especially now, you know, we call, they remember us, and they can they can pull out what they've done before, and we can you know go from there. So, um, it, it, it's an easy organization to work for, and they have a good they have a very good reputation among polling. Um, you know, there's not a lot of, of of publications that I'm aware of anywhere that do professional polling um, in rural areas. So it's 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 kind of an interesting in for us, I think, and and so that's why we we continue to do it. If you could, Dan, could you talk about some of the other topics that were covered in this survey beyond the questions about the upcoming election? There was one that I found it was interesting. It was one that it was a question that I, I, I wanted to get inserted into the survey. <clears throat> and, and you know, I, I talked to you about uh, uh, global warming, global change, uh, climate change. I'm sorry. I talked to you about climate change. Um, and, and, you know, that that was that was a fairly high number across the board among Republicans and, and, and for for Democrats. So one question uh, that I had inserted was, have changes in local weather patterns had a positive or negative impact on your farm or ranch? And the reason I wanted that in there, when you travel around the country, you hear people say, South Dakota's one, you know, a lot more rain than they used to get, you know, and, and I was out there years ago and it was like, it was like Minnesota, it was the land of 10,000 lakes. There was just so much water out there where they had never had water before. Um, sometimes down south here, you see things uh, uh, changing. I noticed last year when I was driving uh, through Kentucky on a trip up to Indiana that it was markedly, the corn was markedly better there to what I was seeing in Tennessee. And and uh, so we had uh, that inserted into the survey. And, you know, farmers will tell you, they'll go, yeah, you know, my grandfather says it used to snow more, it used to rain more, this or that, those kinds of things. Uh, but they were able to get pretty specific where they felt like, um, I talked to a farmer in, in Kentucky about his corn crop, and he feels like um, his summers are a tad cooler, maybe, 
Um, he's getting more rain at the right time, and 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 the and the you know the result is you know better crops, better corn crops especially. Um, so I think that the people I asked about, you know, when I said, you know, don't consider what your grandfather said, what do you see him now? And, and, and they do see it. They do see some local climate change, uh, more rain, less rain, warmer, colder, those kinds of things. And so, um, you know, we found here was in this question was, um, has it had a positive impact? 29% said yes. Um, and has it had a negative impact? And 47% agreed with that. So almost half agreed that you know, the, the, even the local change they're feeling has had a negative impact on their farm. Um, 24% weren't sure. So that was, you know, there's always that group. And it's a pretty large group, though. They, they just may not be looking at it very closely. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think a thing that is not talked about a, a lot, but especially for those folks, you know, that maybe were, are farming on what was more marginal land or a little further north, um, yeah, I mean, we one of the things we don't talk about when we talk about climate change is that it, it's not universally always bad. Like, it's not all the effects aren't negative for everyone in every location. Um, and I think that's something really interesting to talk about. Well, it was, and this was this was a few years ago when I was up in South Dakota and saw this. It was in the spring, and it was kind of rainy anyway. But you know, I remember the farmer I was with, and he was showing me big round bales that were practically underwater. You know, where he had. You know, they had they had bailed it and they now they're underwater. He showed me another place where a neighbor had tied up a boat to a fence to a fence post. So, you know, it's it was it was it was interesting to see and it's always stuck in the back of my head was um I think there's some data out of South Dakota and up in that part of the country that shows um that it's more warm and more humid. I and I hope I'm right in this. I believe I am, uh that the corn yields, for example, are are, you know, statistically higher, that you can you can see the difference um over over, you know, years ago. You can learn more about the DTN Zogby Pulse of Rural America poll in the October issue of DTN Progressive Farmer. Plus, keep up with up-to-the-minute stories and other reporting on the election and other topics from Dan at DTNPF.com. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Dan Miller. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode is brought to you by DTN Haytimer. Hay and forage quality isn't just about yield. It also relies on the perfect weather window to ensure a good crop. Use DTN Haytimer part of my DTN to quickly assess risk by viewing maps specifically designed to show circumstances affecting hay quality. Pennsylvania producer David Graybill said, quote, other weather forecasts were not accurate enough. As DTN hay timer shows, it takes the right combination of drying to preserve the crop. I would guess we lost three to four times the value in crops that it would cost us to keep our DTN subscription for the year. DTN hay timer is part of the my DTN platform. Visit mydtn.com to start a free 14-day trial.